With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time for the BallQuest Mailbag Podcast, answering your questions from the General's Quarters every week, right here on BallQuest. Hey, good Thursday morning, everybody. Welcome to the BallQuest Mailbag Podcast, presented by our friends, Exterior Home Solutions. A free estimate. Pick up the phone. Call today. Today, 65-524-5888 or online at ExteriorHomeSolutions.com. Grant Ramey, Rob Lewis, and Brent Hubbs uh, joining the show today. Got a whole lot of questions to get into, but first, Brent, it's a a great time. Loads are going on right now at BallQuest.com. Baseball season's right around the corner. We have the ongoing basketball season, the NCAA investigation, football recruiting, football news, spring practice happening in about a month's time right now. It's a great, great time to join the site over at BallQuest.com. Yeah, a lot of people think February is kind of a slower month, kind of a downtime. It's really not. There's a lot going on on campus. Coaches coming off the road, a lot of winter workout stuff. Uh, obviously, getting ready for spring practice. You got a basketball team that's uh, got plenty in front of them to play for. Potentially a number one seed, conference championship, tournament championship. Recruiting never stops, as we've seen with all the stuff that Matt and Austin have from over in North Carolina. And then we'll see what happens with uh, the court case in Greenville next week, and we'll see what happens with that moving forward. Pretty, pretty interesting time. Quite a bit going on right now. Great time to check us out. Great time to discuss it all in the general's quarters. Yeah, come join us over on the GQ at VolQuest.com. We'll start with Nashville 615. Got a couple here, so we'll move through them pretty quickly. Rob Lewis, if Tennessee is going to make the college football playoff in 2024, what players other than Nico have to break out in half huge years? Well, I mean, somebody at wide receiver for for sure. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you can pick pick somebody. I mean, Brew McCoy, Squirrel White, you know, somebody out there. I mean, they don't have to have a Jalen Hyatt Bolitnikoff year, but I mean, I think history kind of shows you shows us I mean, you need to have a thousand yard type receiver somewhere at wide receiver. I'll start there, and you know James Pierce just had a phenomenal. You just I don't think he has to do anything different. Just you know, kind of be a, be a star off the edge one more time. But those are those are two that jump out at me. I mean, I'm sure you could pick out six or seven, but somebody at wide out for sure, based off what we said out of this offense. Yeah, I'd say get after the passer. So James Pierce, of course, and 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 you need somebody to, to get behind the defense at receiver, uh, much like Tennessee had the first two years under Josh Heupel, and uh, obviously got to run the football well. So uh, those running backs and that offensive line's got to have a good year. Um, when did you guys find out about the NCAA investigation, Brent? Did you hear it in real time, the same as the rest of us, or did you have an inkling before? Oh, I, I had an inkling before that they were looking into it. Um, they look into a lot of stuff. Didn't know when when anything was going to come out. Uh, didn't know if Tennessee was going to get a notice of allegations. They may not get a notice of allegations. Certainly didn't know it was going to get leaked to the national media by some people from the NCAA for it to be written when it was going to be written. Uh, again, it, it's not a cover-up by us or anybody else. They look into stuff all the time. Um, compliance, everything. They turn in secondary violations. They look into different things. They question different things. And lots of times, most of the time, none of, nothing comes of that. Um, but obviously in this case, um, the NCAA wanted everybody to know they were looking into NC in, in Tennessee. I'm not sure based on where it stands right now, Grant Ramey, that the NCAA really wanted everybody to know that, uh, that they were digging deep into Tennessee because it certainly changed that narrative on where, um, things stand or where thing, what things look like right now with, with the NCAA. So, um, We'll see. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I had an inkling that they were looking into Nico, but you knew they were going to look into him from the day he signed with Tennessee. Do you think, Hubs, that the NCAA had any inkling that Tennessee would respond the way Tennessee would respond? Because if they did and they went forward with, let's get this thing out there, it seems like a huge miscalculation because not only has Tennessee responded the way they have with the, the statements they've put out, you know, mincing no words, but it feels like people have gotten other schools, you know, other fan bases have gotten behind them in this fight kind of against what the NCAA is trying to do here. 
I, I, you know, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to that, but I wonder if the NCAA expected the reaction that they got from Don D. Plowman when they had that Monday meeting uh, where, the, you know, obviously that letter had been generated and had been prepared, but, but she was, she was pretty fired up and ready to roll following that meeting there. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I don't know the, the answer to that. It certainly looks like it's not going the NCAA's way right now. We'll see what the end re- result ultimately becomes, but um it certainly doesn't feel like they've they've got a whole lot going in their favor in this case. And again, we'll, we'll see what you know. Right now, it's not tennis. It's not the University of Tennessee against the NCAA. It's the state of Tennessee against the NCAA, and and that's where it starts from, first and foremost. And what comes out of that, we'll have to wait and see. But now, I don't know that the NCAA thought it would be that Tennessee that everybody in the state of Tennessee would be as aggressive uh, in, in response as they've been. I was going to say, I, I would I would have expected the NCAA to kind of know that Tennessee would push back a little bit, but not to this magnitude, because I think the NCAA kind of approached this as almost a gotcha moment for Tennessee. But Tennessee was not only ready, but they were fired up and ready to roll and fight back. And, I mean, again, if I'm sitting in those rooms and on the Division One Council, I'm sitting there, I, I wouldn't be doing this if I knew the backlash and everything that was about to happen. So um, what comes of it? Yeah, we'll see, but uh, I, I wouldn't have done it. I'm, I'm going to turn this into my own mailbag podcast. Here, yeah, here's ahead. a question I have, and, and maybe I'm stupid. I don't know how the NCAA makes their money. I don't know what they have to do with major college football that makes it worth having to handle major college football. Like, they don't they do not do the playoff. They don't have their name on the national championship trophy. I don't understand. It's not like the NCAA tournament at the end of the basketball season. They're going to run this thing. I don't understand why they would even, in the first place, in this NIL era and the transfer portal and all this stuff, would want to try to manage this and try to regulate this because it seems like a massive headache. And I don't, I don't know what the gain is, but maybe I'm, I'm stupid to the way they do their business. I don't know. Well, I wonder if, I, and I think it's a good question. And I wonder if it's this, Rob, when when you look at the NCAA, if, if football were to break away. The follow-up question is going to be: Does does basketball follow suit? Right? Does basketball go with football? Because football, for most for most college campuses, football is the bell cow. We all know that. If the NCAA loses basketball, they're out of business financially. They're out of business. Now, the the problem with that is that also means the College World Series and baseball is in trouble. So is the softball College World Series, wrestling, swimming and driving, track and field. Because it's this multi-gazillion-dollar basketball tournament at the end of the year that funds the NCAA, and so I wonder if they're like, all right, we got to manage football because the last thing we want to do is if football breaks away, does that potentially put basketball in the crosshairs and look at that? Because if we lose basketball, we close our doors. We don't just stop in, you know, investigating or enforcing. We're all out. We're done because we don't have we don't have the financial means to support ourselves and what we've supported in championships. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. I do find it interesting also, Rob, that, that they're reportedly looking into 12 to 20 schools over NIL stuff, not hearing a lot of basketball schools being looked into little selective, little selective investigation. Yeah. I I mean, I I don't, I I don't have anything to add on that end, but I just, I mean, I, I mean, we've talked about it before. I don't know if we want to open up the rabbit hole, but I mean, football's got to break away, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, I just eventually we, we've been talking about it for well over a year. I mean, I, I think we've been talking about it since you know early in the NIL space. That that's, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to be strictly because of NIL, but NIL is going to be, you know, one of the big reasons, you know, in in the bed of the pickup truck that the that college football, or at least, you know, the top 40, 50, 60 teams are going to eventually break away and be like you know, the English premier league or the NFL or whatever. And I just, I, I mean, I just think that's inevitable. And I mean, I think this court case we're all talking about is, is one of, of many steps down that road and, and leading up to that, however, I, I mean, I just feel again, this is a million miles down the road, but I mean, I, th- I think at some point in time, that's going to affect the, the, those schools and the basketball programs. I don't know what that looks like, but, I mean, I think the NCAA had better tread lightly. Oh yeah, no. That, I mean, big time because that's that's. I mean, they're making a lot. That that's where they're making their their money there. And 
And again, I, I think that th this was th this is a reminder of can can do we really want to try to go backwards and retroactively do something, or do we want to have some conversations moving forward and figure out some way to create some compromise and create a way to to make this work where um, we, we solidify our positioning a little bit, uh, you know, for a while longer before football just makes a, a, you know, a clean break of it all. Well, and here's why, I mean, I mean, there's basketball is, is a big money. And it's a huge money maker for the NCAA and it's a big money maker for schools like Tennessee and, you know, Texas or whatever. However, you know, these numbers better than me, but I mean, I mean, football, I think, or I'll look this up for something. I think football made what, 30, 32 million at the end of the year in revenue and, and basketball made like six or seven. I mean, that's a, I mean, basketball is profitable, but it, it is dwarfed compared to football. And I think Tennessee is probably pretty typical of what you're seeing at this level. I mean, yeah, basketball makes five, six, seven, eight million dollars a year. And that's about, you know, a fourth of, of what football. Yeah, makes. absolutely. But, but, but again, basketball is the only, is the, is the only bell cow financially yes. that the NCAA has. Because my, 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 but my yeah. point being, basketball is a big money maker, at, but it's dwarfed oh, yeah. by, by football. And, and so, I mean, all these, you know, there's a lot of schools that have big time basketball programs making big time money, but it's a drop in the bucket compared to what they're making in, in football. Last one here from Nashville 615. Um, said a lot of national podcasts have been talking about national signing day or the portal window moving. Is that a change that happens this year? I would never say never, Brent, because everything that's going on right now. But I would imagine that's not going to be this year. But, I mean, at some point, they've got to address that to where, <clears throat> excuse me, you move early National Signing Day or you adjust those portal windows to alleviate the month of December. Well, I wrote about that, you know, um, on Wednesday um, <laughs> and wrote my wrote my calendar. I don't think anybody at the, at the NCAA has any care what my calendar looks like. Uh, they link it to, is that their calendar, Brent, that they leak to the media or no? Yeah, no, no. That's that's <laughs> the one that uh, that's the one that I was like, well, I have no prep to get ready for National Signing Day. So let's write about the fact that the February National Signing Day is completely irrelevant uh, and is not a factor. I think nine of the top 300 uh, on the on in the on three rankings were not signed heading into signing day. But I think six of them were already committed somewhere and had been committed somewhere for months. So um you know, it's going to have to be addressed, but, but the biggest challenge, I don't think the portal window changes. I don't see how you, how you change the portal window because of the way the academic semesters fall. And I don't know that you can for, I don't know that anybody wants to force a kid to stay through the spring. Right. I mean, granted, if you're a college football coach and you got 10 kids that want to leave your program, do you want to have to try to manage them for five months because they can't leave until they get to May? I, I don't I don't know that that's healthy for anybody involved in, in that situation. So I think the December December portal window changes. So you got to alleviate the high school recruiting pressures in December to make that month more manageable with all the playoff stuff out there. I think the windows are too I, I think they're too large. Like I mean, was it forty five days, Brown? Yeah, the December ones to, to in my opinion is too big. I yeah, mean, so I, like cut that down to thirty, and then for the for the coaching cycles and the kids, players, coaches leave all that. Um, you know, instead of having it thirty days, man, cut that down to fifteen. I mean, you're in no man's land at that point anyway. You don't need well, thirty days. Yeah, I, no, I, I disagree with you on the thirty day deal when a coach leaves because I think the new coach should have an opportunity to recruit and keep those guys. Okay, so it, let, let's say a coach leaves. And anybody who's been a part of a Tennessee search knows that they last longer than 30 days at Tennessee for whatever reason. But, but Grant, you got to give the new coach an opportunity to save or convince some of those kids to stay. And if you shrink that portal window from the time the coach leaves, it's not when the coach hires, it's when the coach leaves. Well, if it's a two-week window and it takes you 10, 12 days to hire a coach, it's pretty impossible to hold the roster together. So I think you got to keep that at 30 days because – uh, I just think that it doesn't give the new coach a real chance to hold a roster together, in my opinion. Uh, so, but and that you know, there's only a handful of those instances happen. I mean, it's not like yeah. that affects everybody. The problem is the December portal window so long, Grant. And, and if you move the December portal, um, if you change the dates or, or whatever, that's just the entire month of December is going to be well. If this player leaves, these schools are going to be interested in this player. It's going to be all the same talk. It's just going to be talking about hypotheticals. Like people, 
you know, player, players' names are, are out there who, you know, we think might transfer, we think might enter the portal. And if they do, this school is going to be interesting. That stuff happens. It's just not official until the portal's open and they've submitted their paperwork and you can't really officially talk about it until their name's in there and all that stuff. But I, th- I don't think anything changes there. They're just kind of stuck a little bit longer. And they're still going to be the same, you know, this player's gone and this player's going to be recruited by so-and-so schools, um, regardless of if they can actually submit the paperwork and leave just based on the dates and, and the portal opening. But maybe shortening it would be the easiest solution just to kind of try to get your arms wrapped around December a little bit. And then maybe if, if, if you are one of those rare circumstances where a coach leaves or whatever, um, you, you can jump in the portal as soon as the coach leaves. But once a new coach is hired, then the clock starts for maybe 15 days to kind of bring it to an end. I don't know. Um, but but a lot of that's got to change, in my opinion. Uh, let's go to Nick D. Grant, we'll stay with you. How many Vols do you think get drafted in April? Grant, I would imagine that Joe Milton's drafted, Jalen Wright is drafted, Kamal Haddon is drafted, maybe McCallan Castles is drafted um, late. Um, but, yeah, those are the names that came yeah. to mind when I read that question. Uh, Jalen Wright and Kamal Haddon, I think, first in terms of the names that came to my mind. Um, what I've read kind of about Joe Milton post-Senior um, Bowl is maybe a as earliest as the fifth and late as the seventh and maybe a, a priority undrafted free agent. I'm not sure what to think about McCallan Castles yet at this point, but uh, the names you mentioned are the names that came to mind. And I think Jalen Wright's obviously – should be a lock to get drafted. I think Kamala had to get drafted, but outside of that, um, unless I'm missing some names, uh, you're, you're just kind of watching Joe and, and McCallum after that. I don't. I don't think he gets drafted. I bet. I think. I bet you Aaron Beasley makes makes a team. I like. Yeah, that. I don't. I don't think he's going to get drafted either. Too small. But too small. Yeah, but I, you know, my question with Aaron Beasley is, what position is he going to play in the NFL? Uh, special teams outside. I mean, I just think. He, I just think he should. I just think he sticks somewhere. We'll We're going to be our R three on kickoff team. Come on down. <laughs> I mean, just, a, I mean, just a really productive player in the SEC for multiple years at a at a tough position. There, there, there is something to be said in the NFL for being able to play maybe multiple positions, even if you are a tweener, because it's a fifty three yeah. man roster and you've got to bring value. If you can play all four special teams and and find a way to help provide some depth defensively, um, you're, you're worth having on a roster. In my opinion. Oh yeah, especially like those camps, mini camps, training camps, and everything. Right. And, and then that's all, that's the best you could hope for because then you say at least I have a shot to get to, get on tape, show somebody right. something. If I get we, we watch hard knocks, if I get cut here, somebody else could pick me up. You know, so um, well, I would I agree think, with that. I think too. The other thing is, I mean, what? How much has Tennessee's reputation improved with NFL scouts and NFL people because of the success some of these guys have had in, in the last? few years I, I don't mean the drafted necessarily success I mean someone's been drafted but how much better does it look defensively because of what Alante Taylor's done I, obviously he was drafted but what Byron Young does? I mean is there a notion that says hey they know how to play they know how to be a pro when they when they're coming out does it give you a better opportunity because of the reputation Tennessee has created for themselves in particular on the defensive side of the ball even though there's all the talk about offense but Tennessee's had some defensive guys that have exceeded some expectations, you know, in my opinion. And I wonder how much that helps the reputation for some of these guys to get a shot on a practice squad somewhere. Theo Jackson comes to mind, right? I mean, that's a guy kind of bounced a little bit and lands with the Vikings. I just, I wonder if that helps, you know, get a guy an opportunity like an Aaron Beasley, more of an opportunity because of what other Tennessee players before him have done under the staff. All right, we'll hit on this one before we uh, get a word from our friends over at Exterior Home Solutions. Brent, we'll stay with you real quick. Uh, Austin Price dropped the note on the board a couple of days ago now, but uh, about Rodney Garner sticking here after a run from Auburn. If, if say hypothetically, if if Auburn were to have hired Rodney Garner, would Tennessee promote from within with a capable guy and chop, or how would you see that situation that that uh, hole in the staff being filled if Rodney Garner were to have left? But again, it looks like he's staying. Yeah, uh, I mean, I. Chop makes a lot of sense because of his reputation in recruiting, um, his relationship with guys on the current roster. I think there would be an internal push by a lot of those guys for for Chop to be the guy. Um, I think if you're you're Josh Heupel, you would have to look at all fronts. What guys are available out there? That do you have a tie to somebody else somewhere along the way? Does Tim Banks have a tie to somewhere? Where would Tim Banks be uh, in terms of what does he think about Chop and and where does 
where, where would he fall in there? Because that's going to be a ten, that would be a Tim Banks decision. Um, you know, he would be very hands-on and very involved in that one. And, and I think he's very comfortable with Chop. I think everybody in the program is because I think he's, you know, again, has done a lot of great things, a lot of things to not only help in recruiting, but but to help, you know, the development of some younger guys in the program, um, an extra set of eyes, a sounding board, if you will, at times. Uh, a little bit like what we saw with Kelsey Pope and, and Jalen Hyatt and some of those young receivers there when he was in, in an off-the-field role, I think you can make the same case for, for a guy like Chop. All right, we'll come back. We've got plenty more questions to get into here on today's Thursday edition of the podcast. But first, a quick word from Mark Packer, uh, presenting our friends over at Exterior Home Solutions. It's one of those phone calls that you hate to get from your kids. Hey, Dad, a tree fell on my house. Well, we got that call a couple of weeks back from our daughter at her house here. And the first call that I made was to Exterior Home Solutions. The peace of mind that they gave me and us as a family when they came out here and came up with a plan, got us connected with the right people, is absolutely priceless. Use the same people that I use. In that time of need, Exterior Home Solutions. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Exterior Home Solutions, that is 865-524-5888 or online at ExteriorHomeSolutions.com. We get back into the questions. We'll go to Sam Smith 2233 for a couple. First, Rob Lewis, scout on the Fighting Texas Aggies. Man, I mean, really hard to figure. I mean, I guess not really hard to figure. I mean, Henry, Henry Coleman missed a lot of time. You know, one of the best returning guys in the league. So, I mean, I, I think they have gotten better. But uh, man, not what not not the season that they had thought. Grant, were they were they the, they were picked second, right? Uh, yes, they were in, in in Birmingham. I mean, I and for that, you know, and again, injuries are a part of it. But they're what are they four and four right now in the league? I mean, middle of the pack. I mean, again, four and four for them, it's hard to believe. But they've been actually playing, you know, somewhat better here, here since league play. But I mean, Wade Taylor is is a big time talent. That he's also you know he's high, he's a high volume shooter. You know, to me, he, he's the kind of guy, to me, that, that Tennessee has a lot of success against. Um, you know, a, a guard that that really has to create his own shot. I mean, that's the, that's the kind of player that, you know, if, I, if I'm thinking about Tennessee's defense, that he's the kind of guy that they really make life miserable for. They, they slow it down. They slow it down, if I'm not mistaken. And those, those low-possession teams, slower-paced teams are – Somebody you can get in trouble against if you're not hitting shots like like Tennessee wasn't against South Carolina. South Carolina and Vandy both kind of slowed it down against Tennessee and had some success. So on the road, um, I don't know if they're going to start 8-0 and then 13-3 like they did at Rupp, but you better have a fast start because A&M's a team that's, you know, Wade Taylor's, he's pretty good. He averages a lot, scores a lot. Um, but you better, you know, on the road, you better have a fast start and kind of slow the momentum because Tennessee went down there last year and, uh, it was a struggle for 40 minutes, so you better, better start fast and, and just try to find a way to win a road game. All right, we'll continue on with Sam Smith. Kane, happy baseball season. Do you expect Tony to pair Cal Stark up with an inexperienced starter and put Cannon Peebles with Beam, or how do you expect them to rotate the catchers? Hashtag free homie Chucky e. T. Uh, that's a really good question. Last year they tried to have Charlie with Dolander. Um, that was the plan going into the year, and then obviously you had to sh- shuffle some things around as they were trying to – figure out who was their catcher going to be. Um, so we'll see. I think it would make sense for Cal to be with, uh, some, you know, an, a, a, an A.J. Russell or maybe a Derek Schaefer or an, a Causey or Matthew Dallas. I think that would make a whole lot of sense because of what you said, the experience. He handles the staff well. He knows what he's doing back there. 
Um, but we'll see. He's going to play no matter what. I mean, if, if uh, best case scenario and, and you know, Peebles is catching the way you want to, I mean, in my opinion, Cal's still going to have a start a week behind the plate at, at minimum. He's going to play a lot. So it just determines on who – or just decides on who he's going to be with. Um, and then what are we going to do at shortstop with all the injuries? Do we see Christian uh, Moore at shortstop? And if who, if so, who goes to second? There's a ton of injuries at shortstop right now. Ariel Antigua, thumb injury. Alex Perry, hamstring injury, though I think he's close to returning. Dean Curley, who's been making a push, he's got a bit of a hamstring injury right now. So that leaves you with Bradkey Lowry and Christian Moore. And it won't be shocking whatsoever, in my opinion, if Christian Moore's playing shortstop next week in, at Globe Life Field, at least for a game or two. Um, if that's the case, then I would imagine Bradkey Lowry's at second base. Um, it'd be those two guys kind of getting a shot at short and the other one playing second. That's At the time of this recording, things can always change. We'll get a better look this weekend, but um, less than ideal situations at shortstop right now because of some injuries. I think Perry's close to coming back, but Curley's been sidelined a little bit. Antigua's sidelined, so... Christian Moore will get a chance to certainly play some shortstop next weekend in, in Dallas, in my opinion. We'll move on to Reltley for Life. Uh, two questions. There's a baseball one, so I'll go into that one right now. As we approach baseball season, who might be a breakout player that we might not be expecting? Kind of like Hunter Inslee last year. It's a good question. Maybe this isn't fair because I talk about him a lot, but give me Reese Chapman. Um, he, he didn't get a whole lot of opportunities last year because it was a crowded outfield. Um, played a, had a good fall, ha- having a good offseason, played one of the better collegiate summer leagues last year in California. Give me Reese Chapman. I think he's going to be a guy that we talk about a lot this season. And then his other question, Brent, do you see any other states joining the lawsuit that has been filed by Tennessee and Virginia? I don't know. I mean, I think right now a lot of people just take a wait and see um, and kind of go. I mean, Oregon made some news on Wednesday with, with kind of what they're sort of look, looking at and potentially looking to do. Um, a lot of people thought Mississippi might jump in. They haven't. They've, they've chosen not to at this point. Um, but I mean, I, I think I think every state and attorney generals and, and state universities are are looking to see what happens on Tuesday, and then uh, we'll, we'll follow from there with you know potentially their own legislation and 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 what happens there. I I talked to some people and thought you know how bad of a deal is this that it, that only two states are involved in this, and uh, I was told hey it, it doesn't. From a PR standpoint, perception standpoint, it looks great if there's 12 states, but it doesn't affect the ruling, so it's not a big deal either way. There, there's no, oh, geez, the, the, the case has got issues because not enough states have jumped in and been, been involved with it. But obviously, from a PR standpoint, I, I think that you know probably looks better if 12 or 14 states are involved as opposed to two. Volrick says, what do you think about Sankey's comments? And I'm paraphrasing here, quote, we should be focusing on the big realities and addressing them instead of specific matters. Um, Volrick says, I took it that he says the NCAA shouldn't be going after individual schools, but focusing on the developing a model that would work in this new era where players are going to be paid to play. Rob, uh, they comments have, on that, Brent. Rob, they should have thought about forward thinking about two and a half decades ago. I agree. And I mean, to me, Greg Sankey sounds like just a grown up in the room that you know, knows what's important and, and kind of is looking at the, what, you know, this, what's going on with the NCAA in Tennessee is just an exercise in frivolity, like, you know, something that, you know, just doesn't impact where, where the sport's headed, you know, where, where college football, like you say, however, it's, it's something that, you know, it's a storyline from, from two decades ago. It doesn't address what's happening, you know, in the current landscape of, of college football, college athletics in general. I just think, I, I think, Greg Sankey is a great face, a great voice to be kind of leading this thing to whatever it's going to look like next, because, you know, the, what the, how the NCAA is trying to handle Tennessee and, you know, what's happening in the NIL, NIL landscape is just archaic. I mean, it just doesn't work. Well, and remember this too, Grant, I mean, you've got Danny White saying uh, back in November that, you know, he's all for NIL, but, but they need some guardrails. They, they need some parameters. They need some uni, unified legislation of some kind across the board. You got Don D. Plowman in her letter and in her comments that she made the day after the letter, talk about her concern was not just about Tennessee, it was concern for college athletics. And I, and I think you have a lot of people in the world of college athletics that have that concern. Yeah, it affects their own campus, but I think a lot of people who are day-to-day on a campus is concerned about big picture stuff too. And, and I think that's where the NCAA has missed the boat. 
And Hubbard, you, I mean, you've been around. I mean, Grant, I know you've seen Mr. Sankey at SEC, you know, media days or whatever. I mean, he's a guy that legit, I mean, he, I think he's fantastic for this because he's negotiated, you know, $100 million contracts with ESPN. And he can also, you know, sit down and, and talk to a, a 20 year old college athlete and, and really, really, I mean, I've seen him. I've seen him arm wrestle a kid at, you know, basketball media days for, you know, for fun. He's, I mean, I, th- I think my point being, Greg Sankey to me is the the perfect guy to be the face of this. What what he's saying is, speaking of twenty year olds, he's twenty year old Grant Ramey who's sitting in his apartment on Laurel Avenue, having parked on yellow in front of his house for the hundredth time in his college career, and they put up a no parking uh, tollway zone sign on that yellow at some point after the time I parked there, and then they towed my car away while I was sitting in my apartment. So instead of towing away the cars, how about we just build a garage in Fort Sanders somewhere uh, and help kids and monetize a, a parking garage and, and and deal with the bigger problem than this one car parked on the other. Hey, Grant, not only did they tow your car away, you got like 60 retroactive tickets for where you know <laughs> where you parked there for the, right. the previous two years before the yellow. Yeah. And I had That's to ride to Greenville to get the car out of the impound. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great analogy. It really is. I mean, that's, that's exactly, I mean, fix it moving forward. Because, because again, the toothpaste is out of the tube. Stop trying to put it back in. It's not going to go in. It's just not going to happen. So, Focus on fixing what you have in front of you, cleaning it up, moving forward, um, and and not what you're doing right now, because what you're doing right now doesn't doesn't affect the future of college athletics. I mean, do you think at Florida State they're doing no NIL stuff now because they just got punished? That Florida State's like, oh, we're out of NIL. We yeah, just no. Get, no. I mean, it, it didn't. It didn't. I mean, yeah. I mean, okay. Thanks. We'll see you. All right. I mean, it, just, I mean, it really deal done. It really just it makes it makes the NCAA look comical and out of touch. I mean, it, it, to me, and, and I mean, we're all super close to the situation. But I mean, I I feel like I, I would think this way. I would think if you know if it was Texas and not Tennessee, and we were looking at it, you know, from from the outside looking in, it just I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, I, I don't think anybody that you know does what we do that follows college athletics this closely thinks that you know this deal with the NCAA in Tennessee is is going to come to any anything punitively for Tennessee. Well, so to continue the to continue right. the analogy, you don't stop trying to park your car. You start trying to park your car where it'd be really hard to get a tow truck in there to get your car out of there because that's what you got to do. You got to keep going. You got to find some some way to get it done. Well, that's having and, a good day. Yeah, and and Thank Eric, the, the thing too with the NCAA is, and and this is the hard part. Of the NCAA is the the problems that Texas, Tennessee, and those schools are dealing with aren't the same problems that Duquesne's dealing with. Okay. Or that Mm -hmm. Creighton's dealing with, or that, you know, some, I mean, and that's the problem. You have so many, you have so many universities under your umbrella and I don't even know what the number's up to now, but, but there's a great now with NIL, the separation of the haves and have nots has always been there. Now it's greater because what Tennessee's dealing with in Florida and the power five big boys, and, and I think that's why you have the SEC and the Big Ten merges. Like, hey, nobody's hearing us because the NCAA is gathering up a bunch of small time, smaller school ADs, and they're working on stuff. Like, hello, we're we're the ones. Our situations are different than their situations, yeah. and I think the NCAA has missed a boat on that. And, and there's even a divide in the Southeastern Conference. There's an yeah. upper echelon, and then there's teams that are very much higher than Duquesne. They're very much lower than that upper echelon. So there's a there's a divide in just, the SECs. Just, just say it, Eric. There's Vandy. There's Vandy. <laughs> then there's yeah. Vandy and other schools. <laughs> All right, let's move on here. Let's try to get a couple more. Uh, Andrew Aiken's got a couple of questions. All the freshman O-linemen redshirting, question mark. Uh, would any of those guys be ready to contribute by providing depth? Uh, Brent, if I'm off the top of my head, there's only three offensive linemen that were signed in last year's cycle. All three of those guys are going to redshirt. Vice and Lang played in three games. Aiden Bustle didn't appear in a game, and Sham played in three games. All those guys are going to red shirts. I'm not forgetting anybody, am I? Yeah, I, I wonder if he means the new guys coming in. That's, that's what I Oh, uh, well, that would make more sense, see? Yeah, yeah. Here's, here's what I would do. My plan would be to play them all four games. I, I would try to get them on the feet. I mean, I'd play them against Chattanooga. Play them. See where they're at. Let them see where they're at. 
Yeah. Okay, and then when you get on down later in the year, they can you can decide if you don't want to play them a fifth game or what. But, I mean, four games, when you get an opportunity to play those guys, you better play them. But why? Because look what you're losing. Okay, I mean, you to me, you have to play them so you can see where you're at. So yeah, Bennett Warren needs to play. Okay, so does Vice and Lang, those guys who redshirted last year. Get them in there when you have an opportunity and see where you can. You all know my soapbox on this deal, so I'm not going to climb completely on it. But you can't spend time in the fourth quarter with your starters to make sure somebody's getting a number, you know, that you you hit yep. some stat number. Get those guys on the field because you've got to be thinking about 25 when you're in those types of football games. You have or, to. you know, McCallum Castles has now – 367 snaps on the season we got to get jacob warren up there before the end of this game no get ethan davis in there the way this offensive staff works you're not have to worry about that four game rule just whenever an offense whenever an opportunity presents itself let them play because chances are by the time you get to the end of the season you're not going to go over that four game anyway um who's the favorite to replace tyler barron i feel like we have a good defensive tackles on leos but baron helped make our defensive line more versatile last year grant it's it's dominic bailey it's tyree west Tyree Weathersby, who was injured last year, is going to have a hand in that. Um, David Hobbs could play that, but he's going to be inside. Um, yeah, Tyler Barron had a great year last year, but there are a lot of experienced options there that have played a lot and that will step up and and take that spot. Yeah, experience is the word that, that jumps out. Guys that have been around, it's not like you're turning to a true freshman who's just yeah. showed up on campus and you're hoping that that this thing works out. And Tyler Barron had a great, you know, breakout year by his standards and what he had done previously at Tennessee. So that's going to be somewhat difficult to replace. But the names you just mentioned there are names that you think could – maybe it's not going to be just one guy. It's, it's a little bit by committee. But I think you trust these the defensive staff, at least the defensive front, that they've been able to produce there and they'll continue to produce with or without Tyler Barron. Yeah, and weather, uh, Weatherspoon was going to play last year probably. Yeah. I mean, I mean, well, I mean, at least it felt that way early, you know, before. He created a lot of buzz before he got hurt. So I mean, I be think a part that's of the a rotation. Guy, um, I think that, I just think that's a guy people have kind of forgotten about, no. but who, who was impressive it, in the little action he 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 had before he got hurt. And and he'll he'll be on kickoff team. He'll play special teams. Dude's an athletic freak. I remember him coming up as a recruit. He's one of my favorite guys in that class. Fascinating um, to see him this spring to make sure that that hips hundred percent. And no. every, everybody says it is. Hips are a little bit different from an injury standpoint. Not the most common thing. Making it all about himself, Eric. He's making it all about him. No, you want to see how, how he responds to the physicality. I have no reason to believe that he won't. But that is a, you know, that's a little bit different than a shoulder rebuild or, or recovering from a knee injury because that's not the most common injuries in the world. Hip Rob, injury. if we can get Tyree Weathersby up on a roof, then I say he's good to go. Hey, or ski, keep, water skis. Water skis. Let's let's stay focused. The analogies are about me today. <laughs> All right, Grant. Is there a similar position to the defensive backfield this season, this offseason, who takes on a youth takeover? Meaning that there's going to be some there should be some young guys that play in the defensive backfield. He said, I feel like we're starting to recruit at a higher level. Could that cause some older guys to move on? Um, other position groups you can see more youth playing. Uh, I actually was trying to think about this before we started re uh, recording, and I don't know that anything compares to the overhaul that's happening or has happened in the secondary because it feels like, you know, at running back, I guess, Dylan Sampson, he's relatively young, but it feels like we've seen quite a bit from him the last two seasons. It's just a matter of he's got to be the guy and he's got to make a pretty huge jump to be that guy, that kind of that Jalen Wright uh, sophomore to junior year jump, I guess. Um, wide receiver, it's a lot of the same guys back. Um, offensive line, it's been a lot of the same guys back that chose to came, come back for 2024. Um, linebacker maybe would be that if, if Cam Peely wasn't back because he's that veteran guy. So I don't, I don't know that any clubs, maybe if you have one, but I don't think anything jumped off the page to me that compares just because of how kind of overwhelming it feels like in the secondary. Well, nobody's losing that many guys who play right. the volume of snaps that they play. Now, what's that receiver spot going to be opposite of Brew McCoy, right? I mean, who, who's going to be – is that going to be Nimrod Webb? Is there is that Brazzle? Is, you know, is Mike Matthews out there? Okay, that's one spot. But when you talk, start talking about the secondary, man, you're talking about star. You're talking about both safety spots. You're talking about a corner spot. Like, I mean, that's an overhaul. You really just don't have that at any other position when you look at what is returning. Maybe tied in because you lost your two contributors there. 
and you're going to play two brand new bodies. So there's an overhaul at tight end, but that's two guys, not four guys. Um, so a little different comparison that, that way, just because every position but one in the secondary is being overhauled. And Ricky Gibson's the guy returning, and he did not exactly play four, you know, four or 500 snaps last year for you. 187, I think, or yeah, maybe so that's generous, but yeah. It wasn't a lot. You got to say that with conviction, like you know, so nobody will look it up. Yeah, 184. All right, on the dot. Yeah. Come on, Eric, uh, Eric's, Eric's rain, man. He's memorized snap counts for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> the two deep on both sides. Hey, yeah, the general's yeah. quarters is not going to bother themselves with going for the pro football focus to look at that snap count. I can, I can promise you that. <laughs> Uh, volunteered 87. Uh, I personally love Sunday afternoon college basketball games. The big 10 and some other lesser conferences do has the sec Rob kicked the kicked around the idea of doing that in the last 10 years, or will Sunday always be a women's basketball day? I think it's always going to be women's basketball. I mean, I, and I think it's I mean, I, and I'm just speculating. I think it's sec network TV related. I mean, I think it's, I mean, I think they have that set up, you know, how they want it. And they're, I mean, they're still, I mean, it's rare, but I mean, there's an occasional CBS Sunday afternoon game, you know, maybe the last game of the year. But I, I, I don't, I, I don't think you're going to have any desire when you're playing on Tuesdays in, in this league. I, I don't think you're going to have any head coaches that that go go to Destin and, and say, "Hey, man, we'd love to play on Sunday afternoon," and then you know have have an off day and watch film and then get on a plane and fly to Starkville. I don't think I need I need rhythm. I need no Sundays. I need no big Mondays. I need no Thursdays. Like I, I, I'm, I'm a creature of habit. That Sunday afternoon Big Ten game, that's great because you, that's that's great prime napping opportunity when that CBS game is. No, you hear that? I, I do wonder when you go to 20 teams if I mean I, I'll, I will be a little surprised if you don't get some Thursday games. And and and, oh. and it's not it's not been that long ago that the SEC did that. I mean it was, you know, within the last 10, 10 years there were some Thursday night games which, you know, was. I didn't love it, and I, I know coaches didn't love it because, I mean, that didn't mean you got Saturday off. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things. One, I'm not sure anybody likes what the ACC does because they play all the time. I mean, they got a Monday night game. They play something on Tuesday. They may play a couple on Thursday. They might have Sunday night. I mean, they, they seemingly play almost every night. There is no continuity and rhythm when it comes to, to, the, to the ACC schedule, which I'm sure most coaches don't like. Here's the other thing, too. You got the NFL through essentially most of January, right? With with playoff runs and everything else. I'm not sure. I'm not sure the SEC is real interested in putting their 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 men's basketball programs and games up on a Sunday afternoon when you got the divisional playoff race. I just I, I don't I don't think they look at that as prime marketing opportunity you, for you've them. Thrown, you've thrown away a TV slot. Yeah. So I, I just I don't think they're going to jump into that TV now. Now it's, it, in February, I, I mean it's pretty good. But as you mentioned, Rob, there's kind of been some CBS games late February that's that's been a, an SEC game that was kind of a throw-in. I'm sure that's going away now that the you know the SEC is not a part of CBS in any way. But maybe you see a little bit of that late in the year. But I don't know that you're going to see much of that. I don't know that the commissioners got a lot of interest in that because it didn't brand and market his basketball program particularly in. in in a great way in the month of January in terms of getting a bunch of eyeballs on it. No, and I, I think the SEC has a pretty good routine. I mean, you play Tuesday, Wednesday, and, and Saturday. That's, you know, I'm not trying to say that it's all about the student athlete because pretty clearly they're, it's, it's not, but that's a, you know, that's a pretty good schedule. I mean, and you, you talked about the ACC. I mean, somebody's somebody in the ACC in the big 12 is getting screwed every week. I mean, you think about it, you play Saturday and you turn around and you play Monday night and again you know you don't have to do that a lot but that's i mean that's tough i mean that's, I mean, that's, didn't, in, didn't that's virginia do that? i think virginia did that this week right well, somebody does it every week yeah but i think it was virginia's week this week i mean or maybe it was miami's one of the two this week did it because it was like even barnes was at vol calls monday night he looked up on the tv he goes is that game live he goes what's the acc doing playing on monday do they have big monday i said coach they play basically every night of the week and he's like oh geez you know, because he's a creature of habit guy, right? I mean, he he's he doesn't like nine o'clock starts. He doesn't like Tuesday games. He wants to play every Wednesday and every Saturday at seven if he can. Um, seven on Wednesday night. He's fine with a day game on Saturday if he can get one. All right, we'll get to a couple more. I know we're getting getting a little over forty minutes here. Um, 
I'm going to hit the recruiting ones real quick that I got from Matt Ray, who's on the road. Part of Atheron's question, who did UT grab the most momentum with coming out of the recruiting weekend? Um, Leo Delaney, Bazion Brandon, Ethan Utley, Cameron Sparks. Uh, Matt also noted that uh, they did well enough with Jalen Matthews that he's going to plan an official visit this spring. So those are a couple notable ones. Uh, you got Big Old Vol 26 asking, which of the highly rated offensive tackles does Tennessee have the best shot with landing this early in the process? Um, you've got David Sanders, Juan Gaston, Josh Petty, Jalen Matthews are all guys that Tennessee's continued to have positive dialogue with and are all expected to be back on campus for this spring. I think the conversation when you talk about offensive tackle obviously starts with those three, and then now you can kind of lump Matthews in there since he's been on campus. Uh, Vol Nugs, 1421 Grant, this is a good question for you. Um, obviously players and coaches both want to win the SEC tournament, but is there an argument to be made for losing early and getting extra rest before the NCAA tournament? It's about matchups, but playing all the way until Sunday has got to take its toll. We've seen in recent memory how winning the SEC tournament means nothing for Tennessee. I can at least say in, in baseball, I mean, you want to lose and get out of there. Like you, like last year, everybody was mad. They lost on Tuesday of baseball. That was, that was great for Tony Botello's club. Uh, but what's your take on the uh, the basketball tournament? Uh, it's a total crapshoot. Um, anything March-related is a total crapshoot to college basketball because two years ago, like you're talking about, Tennessee won nine out of ten in the regular season, and then they went to Tampa and won three straight, and now the games were particularly close. They handled uh, Mississippi State, Kentucky, and Texas A&M three days in a row, and they'd won 12 of 13, and they went to the NCAA tournament as hot as they've been in who knows how long they Boat race Longwood in that first round game made like 13, 14 threes. They couldn't miss a shot. Then they showed up two days later and Michigan manhandled them and they couldn't do anything about it. And they couldn't handle Hunter Dickinson. They couldn't handle, you know, fill in the blank, whoever. And they were gone just like that. And then last year, you finished four of six. Uh, the final 10 games of regular season, you're limping into the postseason. Uh, you go one and done, uh, two and done, sorry, in the SEC tournament. They beat Ole Miss and then they got handled by Missouri. And then they were the popular 413 upset against Louisiana. And they handled Louisiana, and everybody in the world picked Duke to beat them and Duke to go to the Sweet 16. And they kind of punched Duke and, and kind of punched them in the face a little bit. And on they go to the Sweet 16, and, and nobody's really expecting it. So there, there's a case to be made that, yeah, it's better to get some rest because if you don't need that tournament championship to steal a bid, whatever, then, then you can just focus on the tournament that matters. Um, I think the SEC, the coaches want to move that title game to Saturday so that that SEC tournament means more on selection Sunday in the bracketology process. Um, but unless you're just really trying to, you know, add a banner to your arena and it's a big deal to win one, I don't think it's a big deal to get out of that thing and, and go focus on the real one. Last question is going to go to Hooker to Hyatt. Who is the guy that needs to win a spring position battle? Preferably a senior that can have a Latrell Bumpus or Theo Jackson type year any of those guys come to mind Brent they could maybe have a good spring and then prolong that into fall camp well he wasn't a senior but one of those guys that kind of comes to mind it wasn't necessarily that he won a battle it's just he was out there practicing when the rest of the defensive backfield was in slings that was Tamari McDonald a couple years ago he took advantage of spring and then they brought on Wesley Walker and Wesley Walker never took his job out of camp uh, but anybody else that kind of comes to mind for you well, I'm curious where they're going to be at offensive guard opposite of Spragans. You know, who, who who can run with something there? You know, is there a veteran guy? You know, is that Lampley? Is that Keurig? I mean, what what's going to happen at that guard spot with a veteran guy there versus a red shirt guy? You know, or a young guy coming in? Um, I mean, I, I think that's you know, that's interesting. What does Turrentine do at safety? You know, he played late at the end of the year. Does does he run with that this spring and really kind of turn the corner? in terms of consistency, um, you know, how much more does Jordan Thomas, he's not a senior, but how much better does Jordan Thomas get this off season? Um, so, that, I mean, there's, you know, there's a couple of guys there, you know, that way. I mean, I, I don't worry about the defensive line because they rotate so many bodies. So that doesn't really factor, you know, in for me, I, you know, um, so, I mean, I, I mean, maybe turn time at safety is a veteran that, um, is going to get an opportunity. We'll see if he runs with that chance, and we'll see where they are at the offensive guard spot. All right. Uh, at a request from Grant Ramey, I already deleted the question on my sheet here. So, uh, there you was want me to ask it? I can't remember who it was. I can't remember who it was, but whoever you are, job well done. There was a Toby Walker question saying that if he was a football player with his soft hands and everything, would he be a great tight end, maybe a Julius Peppers-type defensive end? Grant? What do you think about cool Toby hand, Walk on cool the Cool hand, Dan. 
Cool Hand Dan gets some credit for this question. Uh, I think, and he wanted to play football, by the way, and his parents wouldn't let him. He comes from an extremely academic, um, focused family, I guess. They didn't want the physical uh, rigors of football to be something that, that he went through. Uh, but <laughs> because, foot, because basketball is such a meek sport. <laughs> well, you, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. But he, I think he's got to be a defensive end, Rob. Would you agree? Because he is so yes, physical, long. so 100%. aggressive. I can see him bull rushing a lot of people. I don't. I don't know what his swim move is. I don't know what his speed rush is like, but just the strength that that dude has, uh, you kind of got a taste of kind of the, the the streak he has in him uh, at Kentucky when when Aaron Bradshaw decided to push him. Um, I would I would love to see him coming off the edge. Rob, where do you put a Waka's hands right now? Where, I mean, where you, they're not they're not great, but they're not terrible. I mean, they're, they're I mean we're not. I mean, this is. Eric, this is you, you won't know who this is. They're not Tory Harris level, <laughs> Hubbard, at all. Sardis, I mean, that's the past. Said, yeah, love me some Tory Harris, but he was not in there to touch the ball. That was. Not I mean, I don't, I don't. I don't think they're. I, I think they're average. I mean, I, I don't think they're. I don't think they're great at all. I mean, they could be better, but I mean, he, 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 watch him when he gets his hands on a rebound. He doesn't lose many of those. Now, I'm, I understands. I mean, sometimes he doesn't handle a pass or, or whatever, or you know whatnot. But I, if if you. Watch his hands. It's not a problem when he rebounds. Yeah, I'm just, I was curious because, I mean, I'm with you guys. I think he's a defensive end. But, you know, Grant, when you look at his growth at the free throw line, guy's got a little touch, right? Like, he's not, it's not all bull in a china shop, is it? Oh, no. I no, don't think so at no. all. He, he's got touch around the rim and, and he can score it. I think his Gorgeous. problem is he's, his foot, he's still in work. Yeah, and he's just still too much in a hurry a little bit when he gets the ball and, and trying to make the right move and thinking a little bit too much and trying to process. And, like, when he gets the free throw, yeah, he's much improved there. I think he's got a good touch around the rim. He knows how to score. He's got a little hook shot. He's got a little different kind of different things that he can do down there. But sometimes the entry passes, he fumbles away a little bit. But just in terms of, like, see ball, get ball on the offensive boards or on the defensive glass too, like, see quarterback, get quarterback, I think Javale Walker would be a great all right, had a fun time, went extremely long on this podcast because Austin Price wasn't here texting me 17 times telling me to end it because he had to have a lunch date with somebody. So Eric, uh, I got had one. a good time. <laughs> 50, 50 minutes with Grant Ramey and Rob Lewis and Brent Hubs. I'm Eric Kane. Thanks so much for being here. Big thanks to our friends Exterior Home Solutions for making all this possible. If you got a need, pick up that phone today for a free estimate, 865-524-5888 online at exteriorhomesolutions.com. They've been local. They've been trusted since 1999. Again, that is Exterior Home Solutions. All right. We'll come back on Tuesday uh, for the VolQuest podcast. We'll stay up to date on everything going on. Tennessee investigation, the lawsuit, Tennessee basketball, Tennessee recruiting with Matt and AP on the road. All that and more. You can find it today and every day. That's over at VolQuest.com. You've been listening to the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast. Every week, right here on VolQuest. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.